Welcome to Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and on podcast on all the major platforms. I'm Paul Smith. I'm one of the hosts of Food Farm Talk. The others are Emily Duncan and Abdul Rahim Abdullahi. Today on Food Farm Talk on CFRU, we're talking to Brent Preston of Farmers for Climate Solutions. He's also a Simcoe County farmer and president of the Ecological Farmers Association of Ontario. We're talking all about the different actions to engage farmers in mitigating and adapting to climate change, uh, including many new federal programs that have been announced. So Farmers for Climate Solutions were instrumental in spurring that federal action. We're broadcasting here from the treaty lands of the Mississauga, the Credit First Nation of the Anishinaabek Nation. And please follow the podcast and also our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook feeds. Last year, we had Brent on with uh, Katie Ward to talk about the start of Farmers for Climate Solutions. And later, we had uh, Karen Ross, who became director of Farmers for Climate Solutions. She was on talking about various activities, and Karen's now off on maternity leave with her new baby. I just heard from from Brent, and uh, so Brent is standing in for her in that role as director. So we're happy to have Brent here today and to talk about the activities of Farmers for Climate Solutions and these brand new uh, federal investments. So good morning, Brent. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. Yeah, maybe you can uh, uh, start talking by uh, introducing yourself and a little bit about Farmers for Climate Solutions to remind the audience who you are and also who, who this group is. And So uh, I'm a farmer. My wife and I farm uh, near Cremore, Ontario, which is uh, about... Uh, an hour and a half uh, north of Guelph, uh, northwest of Toronto. And we, uh, we grow uh, primarily cut salads for the restaurant and food service industry um, on our farm. Uh, but we, we've always had an interest in, in uh, climate change and the ways in which farming can be a positive force in the fight against climate change on our farm. We, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, the organization that I'm president of, the Ecological Farmers Association of Ontario, came together with a number of other farm organizations across Canada to form Farmers for Climate Solutions. So our goal is to advocate for uh, positive um, policy change that will, will um, lead to decreased um, greenhouse gas emissions and increased resilience in Canadian uh, agriculture. And the coalition has grown a lot since we last talked. Uh, so we now have 23 member organizations, uh, which together represent over 20,000 farmers from coast to coast in Canada. So we now have, have a, a critical mass of farmers who believe that agriculture must be part of the solution to climate change in Canada. Cool. Yeah. And you've obviously had big effects. We had the revised federal climate plan uh, back in late 2020, and then budget commitments in budget 2020. 21 in March, and then they made announcements of the various programs uh, over the last year or so uh, for new climate programs for agriculture. So the big new one that uh, a lot of people are talking is the 200 million on-farm climate action fund, and that's supposed to assist farmers with on-farm nitrogen management, cover cropping, and rotational grazing. And those are the exact actions that you folks uh, proposed back in uh, 2020. 
maybe you can talk tell us a little bit about the process that was followed uh, to get that embedded in uh, the budget and and now in in the program itself. Sure. So I think the I think the key to the to our success in in lobbying for that um, that new funding was that we took a very science-based approach. So we, uh, Farmers for Climate Solutions brought together uh, what we call the task force of academic experts, greenhouse gas modelers, um, policy experts who, who understood the international policy context around climate and agriculture. And we, we actually crunched the numbers and figured out what are the uh, on-farm practices that we know are going to lead to immediate uh, mitigation benefits that are going to lead to immediate reductions in greenhouse gas emissions that are going to make um, Canadian farms more resilient in the face of climate change. And uh, we presented those findings to the government and the government was very uh, receptive to hear those kind of science-based, well-documented um, recommendations. Uh, and they they eventually made their way into the federal budget. So we we proposed uh, $300 million in funding um, to kickstart emissions reduction uh, in agriculture in the 2021 budget. And we, we got most of that and, and uh, the, the government uh, directed funding to all the priorities that we identified. So I think what we've, what we've found when dealing with government officials at the federal and provincial level is that they're very, very receptive to uh, a group of farmers who are coming forward with positive solutions, who want to work in cooperation with government, who want to support government, um, and and uh, and that that's reflected in the in the success that we've had with uh, with funding commitments. Now, there's always an interplay between the political and the public service as well. So I, I know you had the prime minister's office, the minister's office under Madame Bibo, and then a. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada officials. Can you talk a little about the respective roles of those? Uh, sure. I mean, organization. Yeah, I mean, we we engaged with all of those people that you mentioned with with uh, you know several different ministers directly at the federal level, with um, senior policy advisors in the sort of political offices of those ministers, and then the the um, federal civil servants and. What we found is that that there's a, you know, in my opinion, there's a genuine commitment in the federal government at the political and the civil service level to finding uh, ways to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in Canada. That the that the commitment to to dealing with climate change seriously really is there, uh, but there's a lot of competing proposals, and every every sector of the Canadian economy has. Uh, has representatives who are who are trying to slow down climate change action to be frank and others who are trying to ensure that their sector gets a share of the of the federal money that's going to emissions reduction and mitigation so what we had to do is is prove the point that agriculture has really good cost effective opportunities for mitigation measures and it, it was that scientific um, evidence based process that I think that won the day uh, and and the the you know there were various times where we were dealing with elected officials or uh, you know non-elected government officials who would have different ideas or different priorities, 
but in the end they they were all i guess moved by the the evidence that we presented and they they came together to to support those priorities that we put forward so this on farm climate action fund it was created in the end at least uh, as a group application based program so group supply for the the funding and so all those applica a lot bunch of the applications are into the feds now so what do you think about it being turned into this kind of group application process rather than a unified program that was would be d delivered directly to uh, to producers well, we didn't and we didn't anticipate that we would uh, that that's how the government would roll uh, out the program. We had had a, a whole bunch of meetings with uh, federal officials to give them advice on program implementation once the funding was announced in the budget. We 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 um, didn't anticipate that they were going to uh, throw it open to a to a sort of open application process from different groups. And I think that some of that might have been motivated by the timing of the election because the the uh, the on-farm climate action fund was announced, uh, you know, a couple of days before the election was called. So I think that there's an element of of trying to the government trying to figure out just how to to get these things rolled out as quickly as possible. Maybe in an, in a perfect world, it would have been better for it to be rolled out as a, as a single program that was um, administered by the government um, or through a similar process that the, the um, uh, you know, that the Canadian Agricultural Partnership is uh, cost share programs mm -hmm. are administered across the country. But we also see that there's a need for speed, that we don't have time to, to, uh, to miss, you know, one or two growing seasons while we, we figure out the the, uh, the the absolute best way to deliver this money. So we're we're hopeful that 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 uh, it's going to result in 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 a good program that we can get rolling for next year's growing season. The funding for this uh, on farm climate action fund is currently only for two or three years to twenty twenty four, and and that and then in the meantime we're working or the feds and provinces are working on a, a new five year. Uh, funding arrangement for agricultural policy that starts in 2023 and goes to 2028. So I guess one of the obvious questions is, should the funding, this this climate action fund be made permanent or at least embedded in that, that five-year funding arrangement as well, or even increased in that funding arrangement yeah. on, a, on an annual basis? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. The the you know the the thing that that at Farmers for Climate Solutions that we're most excited about about the on-farm climate action fund is that that it is um, designed to get money directly to producers to support them to change practice on their farms. So we think that this is the key to both adapting to climate change and to mitigating climate change is to to give um, producers the support they need to actually change on-farm practice. This, the money that we were advocating for in budget 2020 um, that ended up funding the on-farm climate action fund, the intention was always that this was going to be a bridge to the next agricultural policy framework that you mentioned, which launches in 2023. And that's the big prize in agriculture. That's the, that's the, the very large majority of public funding for agriculture in Canada flows through the agricultural policy framework. And, uh, you know, something like $3 billion over five years. Uh, and that's a big chunk of the time we have left until 2030 when we have, you know, really important commitments under the Paris Climate Agreement 
um, to reduce our emissions. So we we think that uh, the on the the kind of uh, programming that we're seeing with the on-farm climate action fund, you know, um, incentivizing producers to change practice needs to be a really big part of the next agricultural policy framework. So I would like to see, you know, dramatically increase levels of funding, uh, looking at the on-farm climate action fund as almost a pilot project to figure out uh, the best way to, to, to deliver these kinds of, uh, this kind of programming and to really ramp it up in the next APF. Well, Building on the idea of the uh, testing things out, so there's lots of challenges in the approach they've taken to this, the Climate Action Fund, uh, with this group application process. So there's potential for different kinds of coverage across the country or inconsistent delivery or duplication of those sorts of things. What do you think about the challenges this program will have in terms of those various projects going forward? As, as if you, as you said, pilots. Yeah, I mean, if for sure there's a there's a um, there's a danger that we're going to have overlap and duplication and confusion with the way this has been rolled out. The the on farm climate action fund is a, a two part application, so the, it's only the first phase that has been um, that that is closed right now. So we're hopeful that the government is going to look at all the applicants uh, and pick the pick groups that can. Um, work together, uh, ensure that there, there's, there's good coverage across the country, that there isn't a lot of overlap, do things like um, create a, a common application process so producers aren't picking and choosing from four or five different groups that they can get funding from to, to uh, implement climate-friendly practices on their farms. So I think that we're st we still have a good possibility of a, a, a good national program that has good coverage and not a lot of overlap. Um, but but there's still work to be done before that is a reality over the next couple of months. Right. And the the you know the the federal election has thrown a wrench into this whole thing because it during the during the election period and and this period of time when we don't have a minister appointed, um, federal civil servants are really limited in what they're allowed to do in terms of inter interacting with outside organizations. So we haven't been able to get any answers on when we're going to hear what the results are of this first phase of the on-farm climate action fund application. Um, so hopefully next week when the new cabinet's in, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to move forward quickly. The climate action fund uh, is one, and there are many other new climate programs uh, in the federal government at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, Environment and Climate Change Canada, and Natural Resources Canada. So there's all kinds of them, like the ones focused on living labs, the uh, clean ag tech, Technology program, and then the environment and climate changes, Nature Smart Climate Solutions Fund. So, and these are at least that last one has potential for for agriculture too, and uh, it's again a, a group application process again. So, and these are all rolled out. Uh, do they hang? To, I guess the real question is: Do these hang together? Are there missing pieces? The Fed seem to be very focused on mitigation and not on you know building resilience or and, and and sometimes you can get you know problems if you're not focused holistically on climate change writ large. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? You know, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on all the all these different programs, but I do think that there's there's a um, there there's a worry that uh, it's the approach is a little bit scattershot right now. 
I think that, again, there needs to be a balance between speed and, um, and efficiency. So the, the, I, I, I really think it's positive that the government is trying to roll out programs quickly because we, you know, we just don't have a lot of time to waste. We don't have a lot of time to mess around. Um, I, I like the, the focus on mitigation. I think that our first priority, um, you know, not just in agriculture, but across the board needs to be getting our, our emissions down as quickly as possible. Uh, but you're right that adaptation and, and building resilience is also, is also really important. I, I'm hopeful that as time goes on that the government is going to look at all these programs, see where they're, where they're having problems with overlap or gaps, uh, and, and try to improve the sort of holistic nature that you talk about or the, the, the uh, ensure that we're, we're really hitting all the, all the, the, uh, the marks that we need to hit. I think that the one thing that I, that I come back to often in agriculture is that the kind of practices uh, that we know are, are really good at emissions reduction are also tend to be um, really positive in terms of adaptation and resilience. So the, the, um, the practices that are being funded under the On-Farm Climate Action Fund, uh, especially uh, adaptive multi-paddock grazing or rotational grazing and um, cover cropping, these things we know are, are really good for reducing emissions, but they're also really good at making our soils and our, our farms more resilient to the, the kind of extreme weather events that we know are going to become more, more, uh, more common. So that's one hopeful, one hopeful aspect of the approach in agriculture is this, this pairing of adaptation and mitigation. Yeah, and the feds are, are working on an adaptation plan as well, but... You know, it seems to be the the poor sister uh, mm-hmm. following along behind. Yeah. So the other thing I was interested to see that Farmers for Climate Solutions uh, and and you maybe can elaborate on the process, the task force, and so on. Um, I was interested to see that you're looking at proposals regarding uh, business risk management programs and how they might be adapted to address the issues around climate change. And so maybe you can talk a bit about the process you're using and, and, and who's involved in that and, and what you anticipate. Yeah. So the, we're, we're, um, as we've turned our attention now really on the, uh, next agricultural policy framework that we talked about a little earlier, uh, that will be launched in the spring of 2023 and the, the, uh, the government process of, of negotiating and designing that program, um, or that partnership is now in full swing. Uh, so the, the, the agricultural policy framework is jointly funded by the federal and provincial governments. So um, deciding on the priorities and the programs in that framework is, is it's a process of negotiation between the feds and the provinces. And that has just um, started in the last, uh, last month or so. We, are, we have put forward uh, as Farmers for Climate Solutions uh, uh, four priority, high-level priorities for the next agricultural policy framework that we've been talking to uh, different levels of government about. But in, in uh, developing more detailed recommendations, we're, we're um, taking, an, an, uh, again, putting together a task force of experts to uh, come up with with uh, with some of our policy recommendations. So the first one that we've done is around business risk management. So business risk management programs um, absorb 
something like 50 or 60 percent of all the money um, in the agricultural policy framework. So they're a big, big chunk of, of public spending on agriculture in programs like crop insurance and agri-stability, agri-invest. And we, we'd like to look at ways that those programs could be adapted to uh, encourage or incentivize climate-friendly practices on farms. Right now, there's some anecdotal evidence that the, these programs don't um, really address climate risk uh, and that in some cases, they actually incentivize practices that increase emissions um, or decrease resilience. So for example, we hear lots of stories from farmers on the prairies who um, can't uh, get, they can't get crop insurance when they're uh, intercropping, when they're growing two crops in the same field, which is a, can be a really great um, practice for, for uh, increasing resilience, increasing soil health, decreasing fertilizer requirements, all those sorts of things. But they can't get crop insurance when they do that. So we want to identify those areas that are, that are incentivizing the wrong kind of practices and figure out ways that those programs can incentivize the right kind of practices. Uh, and then we'll, we'll pair that with a, uh, another task force that's going to be uh, a bit broader and look at all the other aspects of the agricultural policy framework uh, beyond business risk management. So the, the BRM um, task force, we have representatives from the University of Guelph, University of Saskatchewan. Uh, we have, you know, academic experts who, uh, who have been studying business risk management programs for a long, long time. Uh, and then we also have uh, the Smart Prosperity Institute out of the University of Ottawa that's looking at international practice and practice in other jurisdictions outside of agriculture to see if there's lessons we can learn on how um, risk management can be adapted to to uh, address climate risk. Just to follow up on that, I think, uh, I mean, the reason the BRM programs are so big is because they're underwriting the entire uh, farm economy. So, so they're legitimately very large. Yeah. I guess the uh, looking at other jurisdictions, it's interesting that the, uh, the Biden administration has brought in some pretty interesting new little tweaks to their program so they've done some of the things you're talking about so so those uh incentives uh crop insurance uh reductions for when you have adopted practices particularly cover crops is yep. what they worked on so they brought that in it was tried out in iowa and illinois and they brought that in federally for this pandemic cover crop program and then even more recently they brought in kind of a bmp insurance idea for split application of nitrogen so so that you know if you split your application of nitrogen which is a good practice and you don't you're not able to put the the second uh, piece on dur during growing season you can get crop insurance coverage for that sort of system which is mm -hmm. which is uh, and they've also dealt with the the issues around cover crops so so it seems like the Americans have been uh, leading the charge on this, and they have a lot of experimentation. And Canada had a little bit of that in PEI and, and a few other places, but uh, but we need more of that. But that, so how are you hoping that that would be integrated into the next policy framework? Uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, those are exactly the kind of examples we're looking at in other jurisdictions to to sort of get get ideas of what we could do here, and and I think. You know, we have good homegrown examples, like you mentioned in PEI has a long history of experimenting with crop insurance discounts and other incentives um, through risk management programs to to incentivize good practice on farms. The, I think one of the one of the key um, findings that that we have um, 
that has really come into focus for us during the, the budget process and this um, agricultural policy framework process is that we're, we're a long way behind a lot of other jurisdictions when it comes to these kind of innovations. Um, not just the US, but in, in, in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, uh, there's lots of jurisdictions that are, that are spending a great deal more money than we are on climate adaptation and um, environmental programs generally in agriculture. Uh, and and we've, one of the big risks that we've identified is not just the risk of ch changing climate, but the risk of changing regulatory regimes and trade, um, trade barriers uh, as a result of these kinds of programs. So, you know, for example, there, there are lots of jurisdictions that are now looking at carbon tariffs. So applying tariffs to imported goods that are coming from countries that have are, are producing those goods with with high greenhouse gas emissions. Um, carbon labeling is becoming more and more talked about where uh, where the the, the carbon uh, the environment or the climate impact of the product is going to be printed right on the label. We know that uh, supply ch agricultural supply chains are increasingly looking for uh, ways to reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions and big uh, agricultural companies are looking at ways to reduce emissions in their supply chains. So we see a big risk to Canadian agriculture if we don't um, catch up to these other jurisdictions uh, because our, our, our product, if our product is seen in the international markets as a high emissions product, it's going to be at a disadvantage um, in terms of regulations and in terms of, of uh, customers who are going to be willing to buy it. So th this is a this is a risk um, that that is in parallel to the to the um, you know the weather risks that we're seeing from agriculture, the extreme weather risks, uh, and something that we're really concerned about and and think needs to be addressed. Yes. So before we close up, I think you made a good point uh, about and that your uh, Farmers for Climate Solutions as emphasizes that uh, on a kind of a aggregate level, Canada spends far less in, in its agriculture spending on environment than other jurisdictions, particularly the U.S. and Europe. Yeah. And and nobody really knows that. That's not a commonly uh, known fact. And that's an important thing I think that listeners should know is that our spending is like orders of magnitude smaller than uh, on, a, on a per farm or per acre basis. So uh, yeah. So that's yeah, an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, we're, we're we we're not aware of anyone else who has sort of crunched all the numbers specifically on on uh, agri environmental programming. But we found that that even before these new programs that you've mentioned that the Biden administration is bringing in, the U.S. was already spending 13 times more per acre than Canada on environmental programs yeah. and agriculture, and the EU is something like 73 times more. So it's really a a, a huge gulf, um, and it's going to it's going to have really negative trade implications in the future if we're not careful about it. Well, that's great, Brent. I really appreciate you coming on today and uh, we look forward to your further influence. I know there's a federal provincial uh, minister's meeting sometime in the next few months when we get a, a federal minister in place. And so mm -hmm. we'll see what happens with the, with the, the next policy framework. So, so thanks a lot for coming on. Appreciate your, your time uh, taken away from other things and, uh, so we look forward to hearing about your future work. And thanks to all the listeners on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph and on podcast. You can check out links in our show notes to some of the things we've been talking about today. 
and also on our social media feeds. So please tune in again for another episode of Food Farm Talk. Mm-hmm.